0: Welcome to the Kini Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Kini is the
1: Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water
0: sector. Hello. Welcome to the Kinney interview with Dr. Andras solosi Nagy. For those who have been in the water world for some time, you may recognize um, Professor solosi Nagy's name. He's a big player in this space, and he has been instrumental in setting up some of the key hydro diplomacy initiatives that exist globally. In this interview, we're going to be talking about his experience in particular with UNESCO and the International Hydrological Program, and then we're going to look at some of the the real principles behind what makes hydro diplomacy work, and he speaks about the need for good communication. He speaks also about digital water management and opportunities in the space, as well as water scarcity, water governance, and water security issues, so... I hope that you will enjoy this. This has really been a pleasure to speak with somebody who has so much experience and such a high profile, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. He is also going to share a little bit about the high-level panel on water and his sort of take home for everybody who cares about these issues and wants to be involved in water security-related issues. So... Please enjoy, and I look forward to reading maybe some comments on this interview. Please feel free to post them. Thank you, and with that, I leave you for this interview with Professor Andras Soloski nagy So, Professor, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It really is, is an honor and a pleasure to be able to have a discussion with you and um, and delve into your background and how you've actually transformed global water policy, I think there's a lot to be said. I wonder if we could just start by you introducing yourself and talking a bit about your background for those who may not have met you or who aren't aware of your work.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's, it's a long story. I specialize myself to mathematical modeling of hydrological processes and luckily it, it evolved into a very very powerful tool uh, that, that we have no modeling capabilities we are not even dreaming about. Uh, 50 uh, years ago, in terms of modeling global processes uh, uh, of, of of the water circulation. Now, I was 25 or so uh, when I, I got a, a wonderful opportunity to join the International Institute of Applied Systems Analysis, which is in a small village south of uh, Vienna, Luxembourg. It's not Luxembourg, but Luxembourg is a small village. Uh, and at the time, that was a... <coughs> An east west institution actually the idea came from, uh president Johnson's security advisor george mcbundy uh, who proposed to the president that uh that was the the almost the peak of the cold war in 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 the late 60s he said that well the only way we can re- uh, relax this tension is that we bring together the young scientists from east and west number uh, six uh, from the west and uh Six from the East, and I'm Hungary, and those days Hungary was pretty much behind the Iron Curtain. Basically, we were occupied by the Soviets. Uh, so, as I spoke some English and other languages, and also uh, as I was involved in mathematics, perhaps, in mathematical modeling, in hydrology, one of the early birds uh, those days, uh, they sent me out for three days uh, to Luxembourg, which is a very complicated process going through the Iron Curtain, all the rest, but that's a different, different story. Uh, so, I gave a seminar and then the director, who was a, a great guy, uh, was always American, the director of the institute was always American, he was a professor of the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard uh, before he he, he, he he became the first, the founding director of YASA, as it is called, uh, Howard Rafa just passed away a few months ago at the age of 96 or something. He was a great guy in decision theory. And my, my field at the time was uh, stochastic systems, random systems which behave randomly, yet there is some pattern uh, which makes them uh, predictable. I stayed there for two years, and I came back, and I was working at the research institute for uh, water management, uh, working on uh, river flow forecasting. That was my, and still is, my very narrow specialization. By By developing a new class of models which are, uh, partially uh, deterministic, that is to say, they are based on the physical laws, Newtonian laws, and partially statistical, stochastic, as they say, uh, in the sense that uh, they they look at the random uh, behavior of the residual time series, what the deterministic models are producing, there was always a serial correlation within those uh, error sequences, which means that if there is a internal correlation amongst the members of a, a time series they are uh, they are subject to predictability, so you can still use information so basically, what I did I combined the uh, uh, the structured uh, statistical approach and and applied the uh, a recursive uh, updating mechanism. Then I came back and then I started to consult for the United Nations. And that was the World Meteorological Organization. Uh, they they sent me to a mission to Bangladesh uh, to develop with uh, uh, a few colleagues uh, in, in Dhaka. Uh, Bangladesh is a flood forecasting system for the Ganges and Brahmaputra River. Uh, Network and those are the days we're talking about 81. Those are the days when the first 8-bit computers appeared so my task was to set up a a Forecasting model which I was working on before which I did Uh, and one day in the Bay of Bengal this nomad came down from the Himalayas and that resulted uh, that 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 the sea uh, acted as a wall so all the water that was coming down from the Himalaya was basically causing a what we call a backwater flooding. And we calculated it pretty precisely uh, what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. But we were not able to communicate that message to the public. First of all, there was a high degree of, of illiteracy. Secondly, we had uh, no communication tools uh, to reach out to the village people and to the village leaders. We had no idea about the social fabric on how news is spreading in a in a in a Bangladeshi community. The result of all this, and it was really a major disaster. Nearly hundred thousand people were killed by the flood. Bangladesh is absolutely flat. Uh, and then and then then, it, it was an awful experience. Uh, next morning uh, when we, it was over, I thought, well, I may develop the you know the nicest computer. But if I'm not able to communicate with the public because I don't understand how they, how they function, then the whole thing is totally useless. Uh, and unless I'm able to, to, to somehow you know bring together international help uh, to those countries, then uh, you know my existence is as a hydrologist is you know good for nothing. Uh, and then I, uh, then I thought I that perhaps the place to, to work is the United Nations. And then um, this is how I got to, to UNESCO. In '89, uh, and uh, were given the opportunity to lead a, a major uh, research and education program uh, in water called the the International Hydrological Program, and I was the secretary of the program for 20 uh, 20 years, uh, and that is that is the largest uh, science program in water. Uh, which is an intergovernmental program, so we had uh, nearly one hundred and sixty national committees in in, 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 in in various countries. The objective of uh, of of the program was basically to coordinate research uh, and water doesn 't recognise borders water uh, as, as it will become a scarce commodity with a growing number of 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 the the population. Uh, that may lead to uh, uh, scarcities uh, so much that 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 may uh, become a, a source of conflict uh, and being a united nations organization our task as at UNESCO was to contribute to peace building or rather to uh, to 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 avoid uh, potential uh, conflicts by facilitating cooperation uh amongst nations in, ter- in, in science, education, and, uh, and culture. Uh, and that's how I end, uh, ended up in UNESCO.
0: You were one of the founding members of the IHP and you led the charge with so many of the initiatives that we in the water sector come to take for granted today, including the World Water Assessment uh, Report, and, mm. um, and and just really a lot, the, the, the breadth of the work that UNESCO does in water as, as a key agency for cooperation in water. Um, you were really instrumental in instigating and beginning many, many of those initiatives.
1: Well, I was lucky, uh, Karen because I have wonderful uh, colleagues, uh, uh, well, I don't want to boast, but I, I was lucky also that I was given the opportunity to build up the program. So I got a, a great, great support in the, in particularly 90s when uh, uh, Koichiro Matsura was the director general, and he recognized very soon that water uh, is going to be one of the most critical, if not the most critical, issues of the 21st century. So he 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 he, he grabbed this opportunity and. And uh, uh, wanted to have UNESCO really significantly contribute to this, and one of the the, the spin-offs was the the World Water Assessment Program, because uh, uh, although UNESCO, well, it was well before me. I mean, the whole hydrological decade, as it was called, started in 1965, and that was indeed a decade, a period of 10 years cooperation in the heights of the the uh, the Cold War, with mean, the object two objectives one. To know how much water we have on the Earth, how is it distributed in in space and time, and, and B uh, uh, to uh, to build the scientific foundations of water resources management. Because those days uh, we talk about the early sixties, all sorts of correlation tools, regression analysis, and and uh, the computational barrier seemed to be unsurmountable. Because uh, even simply hydrodynamic equations, we talk about very simple partial differential equations uh we, we, we were rather our, 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 uh, the first, the, you know, the, the older generation, the one generation before us. They were not even able to solve numerically those uh, equations. So that was a, a gradual improvement. And UNESCO and IHD and the first uh, two phases of, of the International Hydrological Programme uh, were really made the, uh, fundamental contributions. And there were schools which were fighting with one another. The Anglo-Saxon uh, school, which was more analytical, and they were trying to move towards uh, more application of hydraulics and hydrodynamics in understanding the and modeling uh, uh, and forecasting the hydrological processes versus the Soviets. The Soviets were outstanding in continental uh, hydrology. Well, of course, there were some, you know, strategical considerations behind that, obviously. But these two schools hardly... Schools hardly talk to one another. And in that regard, uh, UNESCO um, had a, a, a very important function. So when I got there, uh, all, all the groundwork was basically laid down. Uh, my only thing was not to not to make big mistakes. And, uh, and there were five people at the time. When I got there, I was what, 39 or something. Um, and uh, uh, all of those people were, you know, pretty much my seniors, uh, near to 60. And, you know, nice guys, but uh, they're old school. So uh, uh, one of the first things I, I, I had to do was to revitalize, in a way, uh, to bring in fresh uh, fresh minds and uh, fresh thinking. And I was lucky that uh, I really had a, a great team. And then we gradually built up. world water assessment started in the – the program started in uh, – uh, in 2000, uh, basically, I—I uh, I, I was funny. I was with with Matsura, who was the director general, attending the the Second World Water Forum, which was held in The Hague uh, at the time. Uh, and uh, you know, as an officer of the UNESCO, I had to accompany him. And by sheer accident, I—I—I I, I, I knew the uh, the Crown Prince of the Netherlands, who was uh, who is now the King in in, in Alexander. Uh, the king of of Netherlands, and also I met once Gorbachev, who was you know a big star in those days. So I took Matsura and then introduced uh, uh, him to to the Crown Prince and also to President Gorbachev, saying that you know here is the new director general of of, of UNESCO. <laughs> and strangely enough, Matsura became you know very much impressed, and they were chatting and and, and he looked at me and then he said uh, with a sheepish smile on his face that. Uh, we have pretty good friends that can help us. And somehow uh, the rapport between 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 Matsura and myself worked absolutely fantastically. So he doubled our budget and tripled our budget. Uh, and we had lots of uh, resources coming from the Japanese uh, government. And then the idea of the World Water Assessment uh, Program uh, basically came from a uh, – well, it goes back to the 1992 United Nations Conference on – Environment and development, and at the time, which was a milestone really in in, in environmental affairs, that was the climate uh, agreement uh, that was signed, the forest agreement was signed. So lots of lots of new things were popping up, and uh, uh, and uh, they agreed, governments agreed that in five years' time they will have a look at the the uh, progress. So in ninety seven, the General Assembly of the UN uh, examined the the various recommendations of the. Uh, uh, of the answer and how much progress has been made. And they came to the conclusion that that water was by and large a forgotten commodity. And that was the first time when uh, the UN uh, General Assembly uh, has adopted a resolution, uh, which which said that unless action is taken in understanding how much water we have and what sort of social pressures and environmental pressures are, are being exercised on, on that resource, unless you understand that that we run the risk that uh, a, a major uncertainty uh, will develop uh, and perhaps water will become a, an important issue. Therefore, the UN General Assembly invited the UN system to come up with a regular assessment of the resource. And that was in 1997. Uh, nothing happened for two years because nobody had the money. And then I remember we were down in, 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 uh, in Beirut, in, in Lebanon. The UN voter directors have this... Usual every annual coordination meeting. And then I suggested that uh, perhaps we should do, as a UN, a comprehensive assessment on how water and various sectors of the socio economic system are interconnected. And perhaps uh, we should develop indicators to measure the degree of this interconnectedness. For instance, how and water. How water and disasters are interconnected, how water and public health, how water and food security, uh, how water and energy security, how water and climate uh, uh, variability are interconnected. To measure that linkage between the two, uh, two sectors, water and other parts of the socioeconomic system, by a set of indicators which lie between zero and one. And that would have an idea, uh, that would give an idea to the political community and the policymaking community where potential problems, whether they are political investments in terms of uh, uh, diplomatic negotiations, for instance, over transboundary resources uh, or, or financial investment to build statement plans and whatever is needed, uh, whatever is the case. Uh, and I, I argue that nobody can, no UN agency can do this job alone. Uh, but nobody else can do it except the UN system together. Um, and this was the idea of the World Water Assessment Program, that it would be a UN system by program. All of us, each of us, would bring in an element. UNESCO would bring in science, FAO would bring in food, uh, UNIDO would bring in industrial aspects, the Atomic Energy Agency would bring in big groundwater systems. Uh, uh, so bits and pieces we put together and... Um, a comprehensive uh, proposal, but there was no money uh, still. Uh, So we had to look for uh, a a sponsor. And there came my luck in in meeting uh, Matsura-san, and I presented him with this idea. And I suggested, again sheepishly a bit, is that perhaps UNESCO should uh, take the lead here because uh, UNESCO has a mandate of all the and the fuzziest, for that matter, uh, of all the UN, UN agencies, because it's a long-term thinking uh, institution, not short-term fixing. Uh, and I you know, outlined the, the whole assessment program. So then Matsura took... He's a, you know, he was a diplomat by training and a politician. So Matsura took the initiative in that uh, famous meeting in, in The Hague, the Second World Water Forum, and he declared in his opening speech that UNESCO took the lead to launch the World Water Assessment Program. Now, that evening, my UN colleagues wanted to kill me. Oh, that was, cool! I, I was green. I was green left, right, and center. Anyway, uh, so finally, the Japanese government has given us $10 billion to start the activities. Uh, and then I was able to convince my, my, my colleagues in the UN uh, that, look, if you don't do that, we will become totally irrelevant. And then... Uh, we were setting up this uh, this program, and then I was lucky enough to uh, to hire Gordon Young, uh, who was uh, earlier the Secretary General of the International Association of Biological Sciences, an outstanding scientist, to lead this process. So gradually we, we built it up, and that resulted in the uh, in the publication of the World Water Development Series every third year, uh, which I think is very important because. Uh, that that uh, that that public not only the publication but the related activities uh, and basically the linkage uh, to the political community led to the recognition by the political community that indeed water is going to be a, an extremely important issue for the twenty first uh, century. The problem was uh, current with us you know scientists that uh, we are very bad communicators we are not able to communicate short and powerful messages. Uh, this sort of elevator speech, and although it was 500 pages, but the World Water Development Report was really a, an elevator speech uh, to, the, to the politicians. And that's how this whole thing uh, started. So basically what I wanted to do is to to organize a, a party where the various uh, uh, players come together. Uh, and the World Water Council, which was an NGO uh, and is an NGO, basically we, we had a much higher degree of freedom to say things, which I was not supposed to say as a UN u n person so uh the, this world water uh forum series which is still continuing and next one will be in march next uh, next march in brasilia is is a huge gathering there are 30,000 people I and mean, it's almost a lonely crowd but it's 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 there to uh, bring together the stakeholders and and it works uh the the, the scientists uh, are now giving up uh, their sort of tohu bohu speech which nobody understands but, but ourselves and they try to now uh, connect to the not only to the political but go beyond to the public That they are what we are all supposed to to serve. If I may say I, I hope it doesn't sound boasting I'm very proud of the World Water Assessment Programme. There were ups and downs, ups and downs, but the whole idea is working and actually this is what we are now revitalizing uh, uh, with this new initiative the uh water futures which is a part of this major Ixu program future earth that deals with where are we heading uh what's going to happen uh, is it really true that in, in uh, you know in, in if you go the same with the same pace in 80 years or or so or 90 years our systems will collapse because of the population pressure and because of the the the, the climate change impacts uh, uh, is this really true? So well, now we have the tools. Perhaps, uh, uh, perhaps you're familiar with that 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 program, the Water Future, which is down there in Brisbane. That's where the that's where we have the the, the office uh, in, in in Brisbane. And then there are now nearly six thousand scientists who are working on building up a, a global model of the water circulation. That is a great deal of data. Uh, to, uh, to to deal with when when you have a system which covers the whole globe and you have observation data every 500 meters. Now, of course, those observation data are not uh, not ground observations because we simply couldn't manage a system like that, but a system of, of Earth observation systems, satellites and remote sensing. So uh, th- these are the two things which changed the landscape over the past perhaps 10 years is uh, there's no more computational barrier which we have faced uh, badly um, we can compute anything it's a, basically it's number crunching uh, uh we'll be talking about mesoscale so not quantum physical scale um uh, and a and b uh, we can op- observe almost anything by 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 this uh, satellite uh, uh-huh. systems and, and remote observations and the combination of the two is really enabling uh, the community to identify and tell the politicians where are the hotspots and where those hotspots are, are are developing. And this is going to be a, a, a leapfrog.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to reflect upon, I guess it would be the last 30 years of starting with principles, um, working through computational hydrology, to now to moving to this completely digital approach. It's really interesting to think along that continuum and how you've been involved since the very beginning, effectively, uh, in negotiations, and then your leadership through this whole process, and what will be happening next—it's um, it's quite a story. Well, if i may
1: say the right place and the, the the right people, from whom I learned a lot, and I, and, and, and I try to make my my small contribution. But indeed, as you mentioned, uh, the, the 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 big steps. Uh, uh, that were taken are all pointing into one direction, and that's not only in water; it's 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 everywhere in our life. Namely, uh, the g- digitalization, and then actually what we are witnessing these days is uh, the emergence of uh, digital water management, uh, uh, that um, the, t- the different scales now could be combined. Uh, Normally, our scale of operation was planetary. We looked at the global circulation models, how the atmosphere is changing and how the climate is is changing and what the impact of that will be on the hydrological uh, cycle at pretty large scales. I mean, the earlier models, even 10 years ago, uh, the they, they, uh, mesh, they, uh, they, they, the spatial distance between two computational points was like 500 kilometers. And now we are down to 500 meters. That's, That's a incredible. huge... This progress is absolutely amazing, and that's because of the digital technology. On the one hand, the the planetary scale, the the huge movements of water mass versus the the micro scale, how do you operate a sewage treatment plant? How do you model the water quality of a pond or or a lake? And what sort of control variables you have uh, to, to improve the water quality of small water bodies? such as what we have around us day, day to day. But there's a huge gap between the two scales, and there are, you know, 50 shades of grey in between. Uh, and how do you how do you jump from one scale to the other? In other words, how do you integrate uh, the systems at various time and space scales into one uh, wholeness, uh, which we were not able to do even, uh, you know, 10 years uh, back? So with, with this emerging uh, Internet of Things, we have now, I hope, that in, in, in probably in five to ten years' time, we will be able to connect this into a, a, a system whereby the biogeochemical systems, physical systems, social systems will be all connected and the interaction between these uh, could be pretty well. We need this because if you look ahead, not much, I mean, 32 years, uh, we will have nine billion human beings. The current uh, world population, oh, Almost everybody who is now hanging around is living in, in, in cities, and the major issue there will be water. I was recently in, in with Onik uh, Baduri, who is the Executive Director of this, the, the Water Future Program in, in Australia. We were together in Bangalore, Bengaluru, as it is called now, uh, which is one of the, 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 the capitals of the Indian IT. Industry And as a result of it, the population grew immensely. There are 10 million people living in Bangalore now with the, the, the groundwater table dropping down more than 500 meters. And they have no access to that anymore. But what is worse is that in, 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 in 30 years, Bangalore will be uh, a, a city of 31 million human beings. That's a totally new ballgame in terms of how people are communicating with, with one another. What sort of social security and water security to the population? That's going to be a, a, a tall order. So how can we move into the direction using digital water management and what is called the integrated water management, where we are integrating social aspects, economic aspects, environmental aspects. How can we move ahead and, 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 uh, and, and provide water for the humans? Uh, The question which I am always asked by, uh, you know, politicians or the public is that, is that true that we are running out of water? Well, partially, but uh, uh, never fully because the hydrological cycle is a a renewing uh, uh, cycle. Uh, But but if you look at the past 35 years, the, the drop in water availability was indeed dramatic globally. Some 35 years ago, grosso modo, the average number is, you know, roughly 15,000 cubic meters per person per year. Today, it's down to 5,000. Not because we have overused the resource, which is also true, but because of the increasing number, triple exponentially increasing number of users. So how do we meet that situation? Everybody says, oh, yeah, there's the sea, and then we do uh, this element solution for water security is, uh, is indeed uh, to think over how we govern water uh, resources, how do we, what sort of institutions we have to deal with it. But part of it is integrated water management. So this is why lately this issue of water governance came to, to surface, where you ask yourself the question, what are the right things to do? As opposed to uh, water management, where you ask yourself the question, how can we see, how can we do things right? And they are not exactly the same. So there are considerations in water governance that go far beyond water availability and forecasting and demand management uh, in terms of ethical issues, how to share, particularly in a transboundary context, educational issues, research issues, corruption. How do we minimize corruption? the rule of law in, in water management. These are the kind of things which are new, although they were always present, but the, the water management community, by and large, uh, um, you know, avoided those big questions, which, which require a different uh, kind of knowledge than, than simple engineering. So these are the big issues. The next water uh, forum in, in Brasilia uh, will be devoted to sharing water. So here is the the, the contradiction. On the one hand, you have a finite resource, which is exactly the same today as at the beginning of the Holocene, uh, versus the the number of users that ever since the Industrial Revolution has triple exponentially grown. Uh, And, of course, as a net result of it, the per capita availability has triple exponentially uh, reduced. Now, how do you resolve that? That, 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 that conflict on top of all, if you look at climate variability and climate change, eighty percent of climate change uh, roughly eighty percent of will be manifested through with and by water, because probably what will happen at a global scale is the hydrological cycle will accelerate. If that is the case, then the probability of the extremes Will increase, which means that we will have more frequent flooding, uh, also in, uh, in in the magnitude of the floods. But in order to keep the the first law of thermodynamics continuity, in other words, at work, then on the other hand, uh, on the other side, the, the, if you like the negative side of the spectrum, uh, there will also there will there will also be changes, namely there will be more droughts in terms of their extent uh, spatially and, and temporally. Yet, at the same time, the amount of water will be the same. And, and these are not far off processes. These are processes that will probably be already observed by the end of the century. The case in point is is, is uh, climate change uh, uh, mitigation. And that's the, the, the essence of the, the Paris Agreement. You know, what should we do to keep uh, the temperature increase under the global average temperature increase under two degrees centigrade below two degrees centigrade Reason why is not the temperature the reason is that if it goes beyond two degrees then perhaps it will have irreversible processes in terms of the Acceleration of the hydrological cycle and that's 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 the bad news.
0: I'm just thinking about um, how how, ca- how can those of us who haven't, you know, who have maybe been in the sector for 10 to 20 years, um, think about ways that we can be more effective in terms of addressing some of these global challenges in the future.
1: Well, um, first of all, I, I think, uh, and we are moving in that regard into the right direction, we have to increase our knowledge base, uh, not only on the availability of water, but also how people uh, are, are, are related uh, to, uh, to water. I mean, in the European culture, uh, what we may refer to as water culture is is gone. If you ask an average European, you know, where is the water coming from, the the, the response is, well, from the tap. And they take it for granted. Uh, but that obviously is, is wrong. But I mean, if you look at the, if you talk to the Africans, the Africans still have an extremely powerful uh, water culture, and uh, you know it's more like anthropology, not not not, not natural sciences. But they look at it, it totally differently, and that is why, for instance, Africa shows a very positive example on transboundary cooperation. Uh, in other parts of the world, uh, upstream and downstream countries are at each other's throat. Uh, on, on, on on how to share water. Some upstream countries um, consider water as, uh, as their property uh, and they insist upon absolute sovereignty over the resources. And they say to the downstream country, this is none of your business how I use uh, my water resources on my territory. And that is a, a source of conflict. Now, uh, one of, the, one of the, the things is in, in conflict management often is that uh, the parties look at the the source of conflict from different angles, mm-hmm. and they see a different picture. Uh, therefore, uh, again, we have the tools now which are coming up, uh, joint uh, vision building is very important, because in, in transboundary context, and don't forget that 40% of humanity lives in transboundary basins, uh, which is now nearly well forty billion, four billion people. That's a huge amount. Uh, so how do you how do you build uh, uh, models? These are negotiation support tools or sort of mathematical models, if you wish, computer models. How do you build up models in 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 a process which uh, helps confidence building? So the parties trust each other. What will be the impact uh, of of those on the environment? ecosystems, on, on groundwater tables, on flood frequencies. Uh, so far it was basically a, 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 a two parties are fighting one another. So I think what we need to move towards to is two parties or more parties cooperating with one another. There's no other way. Uh, and if you, if you look at also the, the rather sad tendencies uh, in terms of water and access to water and sanitation, uh, it's not a rosy picture at all. After 15 years in, in investing uh, heavily into uh, water supply systems, uh, the, the former Secretary General Ban Ki moon has declared uh, at the end of the Millennium Development Goals period that we have reached the water supply goal. Uh, at the beginning of the century, there were 1.4 billion people who had no access to water. So that was the principal objective of the, of the, the, I think the, development goes to half the number of people who are living under absolute poverty, including access to water. In certain parts of the world, for instance, due to, basically due to the policies of China and, and India, has been a tremendous progress. But if you look at sub-Saharan Africa, the situation is, 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 is not improving in order to reach the Millennium development goals in water supply that was supposed to be reached uh, by 2015, uh, in Africa, given the current level of investments, will not be reached within 50 years. So th- there are huge differences, and the situation is even worse when it comes to sa- uh, sanitation. At the beginning of the century, there were 2.4 billion humans who had no access to what you call minimum sanitation, so you don't you know, don't think of fancy systems, So uh, sewage treatment facilities, or, or sewage transportation systems. No, no, very simple, latrines, if you will. Uh, and instead of improvement, the thing is even worse. We have now 2.6 billion who had no access to minimum sanitation. Again, if you look at Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, 90% of the diseases are, uh, are, are there because of water, rather the lack of water and sanitation facilities. Uh, Which is is bad, but if you look at it and flip the coin, it's also uh, uh, an investment, opportunity. Now, uh, when the MDGs came uh, to an end, uh, the uh, governments uh, uh, created the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, and the UN General Assembly have adopted that, which now has a particular goal the Water and Sanitation, uh, water, water and sanitation Goal. Uh, this is SDG 6, which goes beyond the ordinary wash, water supply, sanitation, hygiene agenda, and is now moving towards uh, the integration of systems. So the water supply, sanitation, ecosystem reduction, uh, efficiency of, of uh, water use, groundwater uh, management. So there's a more holistic approach which we, which we have now. And this is it. And by 2030, everybody has access to water, everybody has access to legal sanitation. Yes, and we have 13 years.
0: Are we going to get there? Do you think that um, given some of the data initiatives and the governance initiatives that you've proposed, there is a possibility that some of these solutions will emerge?
1: There is. There is. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much hopeful. The whole thing at the end of the day depends on the governments. Principally, the the the, uh, the the issue which was missing so far was the political will, and now it seems that the political community recognizes that. Oops, we have forgotten about we have forgotten about water, and we have to do something about it. For instance, uh, uh, the 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 sector of the UN and the the president of the World Bank have created a very high-level panel consisting of uh, of uh, uh, heads of states. Uh, with the objective of uh, to come up with proposals on the on the financing uh, of of water projects, uh, so it, it, things are moving uh, on the political front, which is good news. In principle, it is doable. So now the other thing is that what we need to do is to to uh, to to forge a closer relations between the various parties, the scientists, the decision makers, and the practitioners. Uh, and not operating in 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 silos. Water security.
0: Yes, okay.
1: uh, there was a huge debate. Some countries don't even recognize today what water security is. Some big countries. Uh, and I remember I was during a political process of the um, of the World Water Forum. Uh, part of the political process is a ministerial uh, process whereby we try to bring together water ministers of the world, and then to create an understanding and and, and a consensus. Uh, around the big issues that are ahead and the potential solutions that we ought to adopt. Uh, And one was the, you know, the notion was water security. Some of the big powers were simply saying, no way, security is a military concept. Not understanding that this is not in the, uh, is a security that you, you know, you can walk during the night in in Budapest or in Paris not being mugged, but security is the security against the vagaries of, of, uh, of, of water, low flow, high flow, bad water quality and all the rest of it and luckily within UNESCO in the international hydrological program there was a definition what water security is all about Uh, and then uh, those governments were confronted with the definition saying that this was a an intergovernmental program with an intergovernmental negotiation process that adopted this resolution that that broke the ice but still there are there are a number of governments that are very much against that, again arguing that they have absolute sovereignty over the resources and it's none of the business of the others what they do. And as water connects, this is what we try to argue. Water is not a divider, water is a connector. So how can we, how can we flip again this coin of turning a potential water conflict into uh, a cooperation potential? How water could be used uh, in peace building? You know, in in, in Europe, we're doing fine. But if you look at what happens in the Middle East with respect to water, this Iraqi situation, the Syrian situation, it's literally a a matter of uh, life and death.
0: I think back to uh, a story that I believe one of your colleagues had told me about thinking about sharing water the same way two sisters want to share an orange. They end up cutting it in half when really one wanted the peel and the other one the inside so cutting it in half was not the solution that they were supposed to be going for and how yes. sharing water is that same approach.
1: Yes, now, the other thing is that we have enough water. So these the, doomsday scenario people are saying, oh, we're going to be all killed because there is no water left. Huge amount of water, particularly under the ground. You know, 90% of the unfrozen water is under the ground. It's a huge potential for humanity. However, groundwater resources are extremely vulnerable. Once it gets polluted, uh, then, it, you know, we can kiss goodbye uh, groundwater, because it takes millions until the self purification process takes its uh, effect. And as opposed to surface waters, uh, it, there's no technology yet that could be applied on a mass scale. Well, if you think of a large aquifer, such as the Nubian sandstone aquifer under the Sahara, it's the biggest amount of water what we have in the world. Although it's a fossil water, so the usage of that is is basically water mining. That more you pump for the people, more you lose in terms of the, the, the elevation of the groundwater table. Case in point is Beijing. So the Chinese are not transferring the Yangtze water up to Beijing just for fun, but if they uh, they have basically two options: either they take Beijing to the Yangtze where there is extra flow, or they take the Yangtze to Beijing where there are extra people. Uh, and that's what they are opting, because uh, uh, Beijing became almost unlivable in terms of uh, water availability. Uh, and that, that is a huge issue.
0: Yes. And I, the, the last thing I really wanted to speak with you about is about um, the high-level panel on water. I know you've been involved in the high-level panel on water, which has been a real uh, global initiative at this diplomatic level to push forward a global water agenda. And um, and one of those has been about data. There's also been about about valuing water and I'm wondering if you could speak briefly about your role with the high-level panel on water and um, how that is going to be playing out in the future. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah Karim there are three high-level panels uh, and they are independently working from one another although although there is communication. One which I mentioned earlier is the the high-level panel of heads of states, uh, presidents, uh, the president of Mauritius and Mexico are leading a a panel of uh, some 12 presidents, mine is included. Uh, and they are the ones who are basically dealing with the financing issues to make sure perhaps setting up a fund or setting up a bank, a, a, a global water bank, uh, to help developing countries finance their, their programs. And there's another program, another panel, high-level panel on on water and disasters. Uh, Southeast Asia is is hit the most by the, the impacts of... Uh, water disasters, in terms of flooding particularly. That's why the Japanese and the Koreans are so sensitive about it. So they are working on their recommendations uh, in uh, in terms of uh, disaster management. And of course, it's based on previous UN documents, the Sendai framework and and others. Uh, And there's a third one, uh, which is uh, called a a Global High-Level Panel on Water and Peace. So that's what I was uh, trying to make contributions. That's a, a 13-member panel led by the uh, former Slovenian president, uh, Danilo Turk. Uh, and we are a couple of prime ministers, retired prime ministers are there, uh, a few environmental ministers, uh, a military a general, a French general, uh, who, who was involved in, in the, the French army uh, water supply and sanitary operations, and, and also the protection of critical water infrastructure against terrorism and in, in war situations uh, and i was there as a scientist that panel that uh, has completed its work the other two are still working on that uh, and if you go to the internet and uh, and google uh, a matter of survival that's the, the the title of the the volume which is 100 pages and comes up with a uh a set of recommendations uh rather strong ones uh in terms of transboundary cooperation, in terms of uh, of having access uh, uh, during uh, uh, military skirmishes and wars, uh, and then what is uh, what what is uh, how can can one use water as a weapon uh, by building by bombing, for instance, reservoirs or, or water supply networks, So some of the very fundamental questions, which were so far not really uh, looked at by the engineering community. It's it's quite an interesting report. Um, You know, major recommendations, don't weaponize uh, uh, water. Uh, Water is a peace builder. And how do you, what is the role of data? Uh, uh, Transboundary data should be openly accessible. Uh, Our databases ought to be opened up. And don't forget that even today, and when it comes to transboundary issues, many countries consider water data discharge, for instance, as classified. And the downstream data, that downstream country knows that the flood is coming when they are flooded, because there was no exchange of data priori, let alone exchange of uh, of forecasting or providing uh, uh, forecasted hydrological variables for so the downstream country. Sometimes uh, they are still used as a. Blackmailing. Are you
0: talking about blackmail?
1: Yeah, blackmail. That's right. Uh, So sometimes these data things, uh, or or that you are the owner of the data and you keep it uh, close to your chest and don't uh, give it, don't share it with the downstream data, unless the downstream downstream country, sorry, unless the downstream country does this and that, uh, that is that is blackmail. So uh, this this will change again due to technology. Uh, probably in in five years time, we already have uh, um, um, two dozens environmental satellites that are capable of measuring uh, uh, flow velocity uh, from high above, from uh, from satellites, that combined with uh, digital elevation data enable one to to calculate or estimate uh, uh, the river flow discharge. Uh, and that's a totally new ballgame because it means that data secrecy will be gone uh, and that's 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 good news because there, here you know technology is not just uh, having internet and then um, having access to all sorts of music files and nice movies they, they, it provided a totally new opportunity uh, that 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 could contribute to peace building instead of of of, of war uh, that report, if you uh, look at it is 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 dealing with uh uh, transboundary water cooperation, uh, uh, diplomatic, uh, approaches, strengthening knowledge-based and data-driven decisions, open access databases. Actually, the Australians are, are, are initiating a, 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 a major initiative on, on, uh, global data sets to share, uh, and have access, open access to those, those data.
0: Yes. Yeah and we've had some recent interviews with Tony Slatcher, who is on the panel oh, yeah. about right. about his work and about what's happening and the emerging developments
1: They are now doing the last uh, uh, uh works and last touches on the on the report the high level panel on water and they meet now every month and in march uh, next march again in, uh, at the Brazilian World Water Forum it will be presented to the to the public
0: which which is good Yes um Really to conclude, I just want to leave some space if there's anything else that you would like to speak about or share or any other kind of key messages that you have that you think people should be hearing right now. um, The floor is yours.
1: Well, I used to, uh, in public lectures, I normally uh, try to sort of raise the interest and expectations right at the beginning so people wouldn't sleep, which of course they do later. But uh, uh, normally I start with a sentence that, look. If humanity is able to avoid a nuclear disaster war uh, in the 21st century, then the next thing to fix is the water issue. I would like to leave. Uh, normally, I do leave those 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 public lectures with a, an optimistic note that water uh, is not a source of conflict. Water is a, uh, is a potential source of cooperation, and that's how uh, new negotiation tools in the foreign ministries ought to be developed, a new whole subject called water diplomacy, uh, using a soft diplomacy uh, as a new means of of, 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 of uh, moving things ahead uh, to reach a uh, water security or minimise uh, the security is is very important. Uh, ultimately, of course, it's not technology uh, that is the answer. Technology is a part of the answer. The large part of the answer depends on 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 how water and society uh, uh, are interconnected, and how much we understand that interconnection, and how much uh, that interconnection could be uh, embedded into national and, and global politics. And of, of course, the degree of uncertainty has has increased uh, with nationalism and uh, xenophobia and all sorts of terrible things which are happening over the past. Uh, a couple of a couple of years or or or, or months uh, is is I hope it's a transient phenomena, and I hope it will not lead to a a, a conflict, let alone a global conflict that none of us will survive. Uh, I, I hope that uh, normalcy uh, will prevail and 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 thinking will will prevail, and in that thinking process. Uh, water has a very important uh, role. I mean, if, you know, there are some politicians who deny uh, climate change, come on, go back to the elementary school and learn a little bit. Uh, but those are dangerous tendencies. So that's, that is why I, I personally believe that it is very important that all of us, uh, being scientists, engineers, policymakers, politicians, but basically communication people, uh, work together. This is too serious to, to play a game around water.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for those con- concluding thoughts. Um, there's, I wow. think there's a lot of weight on all of us who work in this sector, and um, I always like to say if anybody's interested in looking for a career path, there's always water because we need great people involved <laughs> to help with these challenges. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But thank you very much for your time and for sharing sure. your insights pleasure. and for telling your stories. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Keeney is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Keeney connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at keeney.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more.